morning and uh, welcome to the end of summer, right? <laughs> for, for a lot of parents, that's what it always felt like to us, like, okay, school starts, so uh, summer's over. But there, unfortunately, is plenty more summer out there, so we will, uh, that sounds like a downer, doesn't it? I didn't mean that. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, there's some changes going on, uh, but it is an awesome time of year, uh, one of my favorite times, and yes, I am one year older as of yesterday, but I don't feel like it. All right. So... Um, at any rate, guys, we're going to conclude this series today uh, that we've been in for a few weeks called What If? And I'm excited to, not only about concluding a series, but starting another because next week we're going to be going back into the Old Testament and we're going to be studying the book of Ruth. And I don't know if you've ever read that book or not, but it's an amazing book. And as I've been preparing already the last few weeks, uh, there's some topics we're pulling out you probably, I never thought about in the book of Ruth. So we're going to be uh, investigating that. So we're going to call it the, the big little love story because that's what it is. And some of you romantics are going to love it. And guys are going to go, wow, I didn't know that was in there like that. And uh, it's, it's an intriguing story of history and what God can do and, uh, and the word redeeming. Uh, Redeemer is huge in this story, and that's, it's really a, a kind of a, a story about Jesus in a lot of ways. So at any rate, that's come up next week. Today we're going to wrap up uh, the What If series. And uh, you know, uh, I was talking about what a beautiful summer it's been. One thing I always look forward to in the summer, uh, toward the end of the summer, you don't have to mow your yard every week, right? But this year, no. We don't even get that, right? I mean, it rains so much, we're mowing you know, at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. But I got some good news for you that Honda Motor Company has come up with a new riding mower that will go 150 miles an hour. I mean, I mean, think about this. Think about how practical this is. You could mow your yard in a fraction of the time, right? Uh, it's called the Mean Mower. I was reading about it, the specs. It, it has a 999cc four-cylinder motorcycle engine on it that generates more than 190 horsepower at uh, 13,000 RPMs. I mean, it's got Hoosier uh, racing tires and sport wheels on it. And if you're white, ask. Yes, it does mow. You know, that's important, all right? And, uh, and I, th I was reading it, and I was like, who would buy one of those? I mean, really, uh, if you, unless you just had some money to waste. But, but that's a pretty extraordinary thing, isn't it? You know, sometimes when I read stories like that, I think, what is it that goes through the mind of a person that drives them to dream the impossible dream, that drives them to just imagine something like, that's so impractical, but it's possible to dream the impossible dream and then make it happen. We call those people visionaries. We call those people dreamers. You know, others, you know, you do that critically, but really they're dreamers and, and then they make it happen. I mean, think back through time about the great dreamers that have changed our world in a lot of different things. For example, what about Henry Ford? I mean, there were other people who were making cars, I believe, before Ford was, but he was the one that learned how to mass produce automobiles so everybody could have a car, car in every driveway, or they could have a driveway and have a car in it. It's amazing. And he, he even established what was called the power and free chain, uh, which is an assembly line process that moves cars along. And so over 100 years ago, and they still use something like that at Toyota today. I mean, that's amazing that a visionary guy came up with something like that. And then we think about guys like Bill Gates, who uh, founded Microsoft and Steve Jobs with Apple and Sam Walton, who changed the way we shop, Walmart, right? Guys like that, that huge. And we got people today that are you know, like Tesla, that are uh, self-driving self cars, that we can't even think about that. Do you want to let go of the wheel and let a car drive for you? 
people who had great dreams and visions and changed the way we do life. And, and then we think about individuals, maybe not inventions, but people who, who changed the world for people like Moses and Gandhi. And how about the founding fathers of America that had a dream and a vision? They changed our world. They made the world that we live in today, and they did extraordinary things. And a lot of us think, wow, all the neat things have already been invented, or all the great things have already been done. And, you know, wouldn't it be great to be someone like that? And we kind of rule ourselves out and say, well, I, I could never do something important. But what I want to tell you today is that you and I can be part of something which is much greater than all that these people have done. We can be a part of something that, is, that lasts longer than any of these inventions. We can be a part of a vision, a dream that God has called us for and toward that will last far beyond this world into eternity, which is to be a part of the kingdom of God. Because every one of us are invited to be on board with him, to vision and dream and make that dream happen through Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to share with you as we wrap up the series that we've been calling What If. We've been challenging ourselves to look beyond the fear and the anxiety that we come, that's a part of our world that is there all the time. What if this happened? What if that happened? What if we run out of health or money or our family? Or what, what would happen? What if instead say, no, no, let's don't think about that. What would happen if we put ourselves in the hands of God? What if we let go and let God at some point in our lives? Can you imagine what that would be like? I want to read again, uh, kind of in the Old Testament today uh, and next week, but Isaiah chapter 54. And I just want to read this to you. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this passage. I wouldn't say I was a lot, but Isaiah 54, sing barren women, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and the left, your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. So we've been asking this question, what if we didn't think about fear and anxiety, but more on possibilities? And God tells the people of Israel, I want you to think about possibilities. I want you to dream a great dream. And I want you to imagine what it would be like if you follow me. And what if you just let me lead you? What could God do through us? In Isaiah chapter 54, God's preparing Israel for something great, and he's working in them to get the people prepared and willing to work with him, because most of us settle like them into just mediocrity. Most of us live our lives reacting to whatever comes, and rarely are we excited and anticipating and prepared to do something great. But let me just say this, that before God can do something extraordinary through us, God has to do something extraordinary in us. Before God can do something extraordinary through us, he has to do something extraordinary in us. And so he tells the barren woman in the scripture, the one who felt like she had been cursed, who never had any children, seemingly not even as married, he said, you need to get ready because I'm going to do something great in you. And if you see the kind of the, the terminology, the, what he's saying here is, he says, I want you to start adding bedrooms to your tent because I'm going to give you kids. And by the way, you probably ought to add some bathrooms to your tent as well because that's what kids need, Right. But he's saying, I want you to imagine and dream. I want you to open wide uh, the possibilities in your life. 
You know, the video we played earlier at the very beginning, it was talking about as a kid, we dream about great things, and then we reach a point in life where we figure, okay, we can't accomplish, and we kind of give up to the mediocrity of our world. But God says, no, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to live like that. I want you to dream great dreams. I want you to vision and, and, and have uh, hope for the future and possibilities. When I was reading this, what came to mind was uh, Abraham and Sarah. And if you know their story, Abraham was a man of faith. And God called him to leave his land, to come up uh, to a land he would give him. But the promise he gave him is, Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have more children, more descendants than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. Now, that, that's a lot, obviously. God says, I'm going to give you all these descendants, and Abraham said, one problem, I'm 100 years old, my wife's 90, and we don't have any children. That's a problem. But it wasn't a problem to God, was it? If you know the story, even though Abraham and Sarah tried to fix it on their own, God said, no, I'll take care of it. He gave them the child of promise, Isaac, and, and truly this all came true, not only physically, but now spiritually through believers. But Abraham had to discover that what God would do in his life by surrendering to him. He was known for his faith. He trusted God. He obeyed. He left his homeland, and he came to a land he had never seen. He trusted God for children, and God was faithful. But think about others in the Bible. We read their stories, and we discover what they did because they let God have their life. What about Noah? Noah, who was called to build an ark, for a flood that they had never experienced. It had never even rained, as far as we can tell. Never rained, never flooded. They didn't know what that was. And God says, build an ark that will hold all these animals and whoever wants to get in it. And because he trusted God, God did something amazing through him the world will never forget. Later on, Moses went back to face his past. He had killed a man as a young man, gone into the wilderness for 40 years. God called him back, and God used him to deliver the people of Israel out of an impossible situation. Next week, we're going to talk about Ruth. Ruth lived in the time of the judges. One of those judges was named Gideon. If you know Gideon's story, Gideon was a regular guy, a normal guy that wasn't looking for any, uh, any great uh, recognition. But God said, Gideon, I need you to fight the Midianites. And so Gideon called together an army. He had a lot of men until God said, you got way too many. Thin them out. He ended up with 300, and with 300 men, Gideon defeated an army of thousands of Midianites. And then you read the story of the Israelites later on who, who went, were promised a land they could only hope for. And you read these stories, and in every case, what you discover is that they had to trust God and what he was doing inside of them that they could not control, they could not determine, but they just had to trust God, surrender to him, let him do something in their lives to change them before they could then be used by God. In every situation, there's a story of transition. There's a story of hope. There's a story of opening up, surrendering to God, which is what God calls us to do as well. And they discovered that nothing that they were able to do came directly from their own abilities. In fact, in most cases, it was in spite of their inabilities and their weaknesses, almost everybody who God has ever used has some glaring flaws some weaknesses, some struggles, like you and I understand. But understand, too, that everything that we do for God is simply a response to His initiative in our life. When we open our hearts up and our lives up to His invitation, we believe in His power, then God does extraordinary through us. 
Isaiah chapter 43 says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Wouldn't it be great to think God might do a new thing in your life? Because a lot of us are kind of, we're stuck in the ho-hum, just who we are, what we do. What if God did a new thing in your life? He goes on to say, now it's, it's springing up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. For some of us maybe who feel like our lives are just desolate and dry, and there's nothing there in a lot of ways, including spiritually, maybe it's time to open up and look for God to do something new and fresh and surrender to him anew. Because our willingness to perceive what God wants to do and then believe it determines if God will be able to do it. And let me tell you this, if God wants something done, he will get it done. Even if you and I, if we say, no, I'm not, I'm not available, God, God will get it done maybe through someone else and we'll miss the blessing. I think today we certainly miss a big part of what God may do through us because we're not willing, we're not available, and God doesn't even count us in that area. I don't know about you, but I want to be open to the will of God. I want to be in the flow of his will above everything else. I may have some thoughts, some ideas. I've got ideas on a lot of things, but what I truly want to be is available and to be used by God as he would see fit. So I guess what I'm going to say today is I want to challenge you to think anew about growing in your capacity to be used by God. And so as we look at this, uh, what, what he's saying is that we have to be able and willing to ask God to enlarge our faith, enlarge our faith. I, I remember an account in the gospel of, of Jesus, uh, talking about Jesus' life, when, when a man said to Jesus, Jesus, would you increase my faith? Would you grow me in my faith? And, and I, I think about that a lot because I, I have a lot of faith, I do, but I want more faith. I want that to increase, and I can't necessarily do that on my own. I need God to help me increase my faith. You see, God is not really limited in what he can do through me except where he limits himself, and he will limit himself where there is no faith. Another example of Jesus, when he was... Uh, uh, in his hometown of Nazareth. You would think the hometown boy doing well, come back, would be well-received, and people would, you know, uh, just celebrate who Jesus was, but they didn't have faith in him. And so the Bible says that in Nazareth, he could not do many miracles there, not because it was a bad place and there weren't any needs, but because the people didn't believe in him. He did incredible things everywhere else, but he came home to his hometown, no faith and nothing in Nazareth. And wouldn't it be sad to think that we're a Nazareth environment for Jesus, that he can't do much in us because we don't have the faith and the openness and the availability for God to use us. And I think we miss those blessings and a lot of opportunities that God might want to do in our life because we limit our faith capacity. A few years ago, uh, there was a little book out, and I, when I say little, it was a, a small book called The Prayer of Jabez. I don't know if you ever read that book or not. And it was really an obscure name pulled from the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles chapter 4. But Jabez was an Israelite. He was a Jewish man, not really notable in any way. And his name means he causes pain. He causes pain. And you know why that he was given that name? Because his mother said this was a hard baby to, to bear, to, to give birth to. And she named him. He causes pain. Now, I don't think most parents would want to label their child you know, about something that personal. This kid was a pain to the liver, but he lived his life with that kind of burden, that kind of name. Now, today, we don't think a lot about what names mean, but in that day, 
if you had a name like that, you were kind of labeled for life. This guy's a pain. You can imagine the kids, you know, uh, making fun of him and everything else. And, uh, but but he, had, he had a hard name to live down. But Jabez went to God with that name. He, he defied his hopeless name and his dysfunctional beginning. He became a man who believed fervently in the power of God. That's why we can talk about him today. It says that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and, let, and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. I don't want to suffer, God. I don't want to be a pain in pain or be a pain to other people. And it says, and God granted his request. That's in 1 Chronicles 4. I mean, that's an amazing. You might go back and read that. And if you find a little book, uh, you could probably read that as well to encourage you. But you know what? He prayed with urgency. To God, he cried out to God, and he prayed with vulnerability and said, God, I don't have a lot to offer. Even my name is shameful, but God, would you bless me? How often do we ask God to bless us? And he said, God, enlarge my territory. Enlarge my influence. God, I want to serve you. And God responded. God responded. You know, I think we need to ask God to enlarge our faith. Oftentimes, we, I don't think Jabez was asking for money here. He was saying, God, I want you to enlarge the territory of my ministry, my reach, my influence there. I want to be a positive, not a negative to people. And so when we give God the opportunity to enlarge our territory or stretch our faith, then it's our turn to stretch our commitment. Our commitment. Back to Isaiah chapter 54. God says, I'm going to bless you, but you have to stretch your commitment in order to receive my blessings. So, and what's the analogy? It's, it's about a tent. In our analogy today, it would, it would be, hey, you need to start adding some rooms to your house. But in those days, it was a tent. He said, I want you to stretch your tent curtains wide. In other words, cut them down the middle and start stretching them out. Then I want you to lengthen the cords. That would be the ropes that held the tent to give it more stability. Strengthen the stakes, get better stakes, you know, make them deeper, longer, because your tent's going to be bigger. And wouldn't it be great to think that God's going to do something in our lives, in our influence, in our service with him, because we're willing to stretch our own personal commitment. You see, our faith doesn't grow until we have to act on it. Our faith does not grow until we have to act on it. We have to stretch out a little, sacrifice, suffer a little to grow our faith. The principle is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generally, generously will reap generously. If you build walls around your life and say, this is all I'm going to do, if you build walls around your faith and your commitment to God, this is all I'm going to do right here within this little box, that's all you'll ever experience. But if you're willing to open wide and let God use you, I believe God will grow your influence. If you'll take some steps of courage and boldness and admit, well, I've never done that before, but I'm going to try that. I've never volunteered before. I've never served. I've never uh, spent, you know, fasted. I've never, whatever you fill in the blank, whatever the next step in your spiritual journey, what if you tried that? What if you just said, instead, instead of saying, I could never do that, say, what if I tried that? And what if God enlarged my territory? Because here's the thing, it's a principle of the harvest. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And how you sow it, you're going to reap in the same way. You can't have a larger harvest if you don't lease a bigger field or buy a bigger field, and you don't plant more seed. 
Because, you see, we have to all do our part to increase the harvest. We have to invest. We have to take a chance to stretch out before we can see a greater harvest. And then our context here, if we want to see more people come to Jesus, if we want to see His will be done and His kingdom come as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, then we, in turn, have to stretch our commitment. We have to make sacrifices, and God will reward. Jesus talked about this Himself in John chapter 12. He said, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, I grew up on a farm, and I'm not a great farmer in any way, shape, or form, not even a good gardener, to be honest with you. But I do know the concept that you, you, can, you have to plant something in the ground and then watch it die, and through its death, it gives life. That's amazing, isn't it? And he used the example of wheat if you take one grain of wheat and you put it in the ground and it, and it grows and you nurture it what it needs, that gr- one kernel of wheat will die and produce up 200 more in just the head of a stalk of wheat. Now, I, I like to dream big, so I'm thinking, what would corn do? Because corn, you know, it's more common around here than, than wheat is. But with corn, if you take one kernel, when you put it in the ground, it dies, it can produce up to 1,600 more kernels from one kernel that dies. So I think corn has got a, beat, a wheat beat, right? I want to be a kernel of corn. <laughs> I want to produce that way, you know. I want to I die to self and let God do something amazing. And you know what? God can do that in our life. That's the principle. He's not talking about farming. He's talking about when we die to self and we give our lives to God, to the work of God, He will use us to multiply and grow the kingdom. And you know what? It works out practically here in our church in simple ways. Because there's some areas of service that we would love to have you guys to jump into. There, there are some, some needs that we have specifically, and there's a couple of things I just want to throw out there. Because we believe that when people come to our church, for whatever might draw them here, they are come looking for something, and we want them to find that. We want them to find community. That's We can give them community, and then we can help them to, to, to find Jesus through community or however they want to come. But we can give them that, and we don't always do the best job with that, I'll be honest. But we're working on our first impressions team and our follow-up team. And, and basically it means that whenever someone comes to our church, we want volunteers willing to sacrifice their time, willing to be here just a little earlier than everybody else, willing to have uh, to sacrifice their conversation with, with their best friends on Sunday morning to visit with somebody new who might walk in the door. We want people who are willing to, to, to give their energy to make that a better experience for guests. And just to, to be more welcoming, because if you go in somewhere and you, you don't meet anybody, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable, it's awkward. And so we've got some folks who do that. And it's easy for us sometimes to be more concerned about our own Sunday morning experience than it is for that of our guest. And we want to remedy that. In fact, this young lady over here who's amening me is a person you would see if you want to volunteer. Thank you, Bug. Uh, if you want to volunteer, just stand and be friendly. Just stand and be friendly. And you know what? After this service, after this service, just stand out there and be friendly to people. Hang around for 20 minutes after, you know, the, when, when the, you can leave when the service starts. You've already paid your dues this morning. But just be friendly. Connect with people. And, you know, that's, that's a little thing, but it's a big thing. We sacrifice our own wants if we're going to be used by God. And remember that God cannot do something extraordinary in your life without some sort of sacrifice. We simply can't follow Jesus and not die to the things of this world. And when you think about it, it's so practical because you and I are here today because people before us sacrificed. 
they opened up. They, they took steps of faith. It was a step of faith to, to move our, our church to this new location and build this building uh, and to establish the ministry and, and to, to give the giving base of our church today. That's a step of faith. You know what? That should challenge us to stretch ourselves so that other people can grow and go beyond what we personally experience. And if we're willing to stretch ourselves in response to him growing our faith, then God will expand our influence. Remember, that's what Jabez prayed for. He didn't ask to get wealthy. He asked for God to bless him and enlarge his territory and his influence, put his hands on him, keep him from harm, and so that he would be free from pain. And God granted that request. We don't hear anything else about Jabez, but I have to believe that God did something great in his life. One day we'll see Jabez and we'll say, exactly what did you get when you asked God for that? But we just trust today that God is faithful in what we ask for. Again, back to Isaiah chapter 54, God says in verses 3 and 4, you're going to be okay. That's a great reminder to us because when we often take steps of faith, we get out of our comfort zone and then we start to be afraid. We start to, to worry, what's going to happen if I do this? You know, in the New Testament, the story of Jesus, I love the, the account of Peter who was in a boat. He and his fellow disciples, they were fishing and the storm came up and uh, they were terrified and and they look at him, and there's Jesus walking on the water, calmly just walking through the storm to them. And Peter says, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. And so Jesus said, well, it's me, and come on out. And so Peter got out of the boat and started walking across the water until he realized that he couldn't do it. It was impossible. And then he began to, to his faith began to fail, and he began to sink. But then Jesus reached out and said, no, I'm in control. And they walked on the water together, you know going to be okay. Don't be afraid. You're not going to be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You'll not be humiliated. Guys, what if today we stop worrying about fear and failure and anxiety and our what if questions were not about failure, but they were about possibilities? What if we dream big dreams again and we got past that mediocrity that we've been told we have to live in? Can you imagine what God would do with our lives? What if God, what if we humbled ourselves and prayed Week one. What if we really humbled ourselves before God? Would God answer his, uh, our, uh, his promise and say, I will bless you. I will heal your land. What if we did that? Last week we asked, what if we committed ourselves to giving as he commands? What would happen? I believe God would do some incredible things in our personal lives like Tony shared, but also in the church, also in this community through the kingdom of God right here. Because when we surrender, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Back in the Old Testament, one more time, the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, one of my favorite stories. If you're not familiar with that, this was shortly after the flood. Everything was healing up, and people were populating. A lot of people were being born, and the, the world was coming back in people. And they had this idea, what if we build a tower to heaven? What if we build a tower to, to reach God? And we say, well, you can't do that. But God said, no, that could be done. Here's what he says. I love this scripture. The Lord says, if there's one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. God said, they're going to be knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door if I don't stop them, you know? So I think that's amazing that they were, going to, they were actually going to do it. And God said, they got one language, they got one heart, then nothing will be impossible. That's exciting, isn't it? And what did God do? He went down and mixed up their languages because it wasn't time for them to, to get to heaven right at that point. So here's my challenge to you, and, and dream big and think about this, to let God enlarge your capacity 
and choose to stretch your commitment to him, and God will then expand your influence and do some great things with you so that we can do extraordinary and experience things we can't even imagine. Let's dream big, guys. Let's dream big personally, what God could do in our life and our family life. Look down the road if you've got young children and project what, what, would your, what would your kids be like? What do you want them to be? How do you structure your family and your time and your investment in them so that they become the young men and women that you want them to be? Dream for them. Dream big. Dream about your own life, what you will do, what you can do, what you'll do in retirement for God or what you'll do right now for God. And what God could do if you just released him to work in your life. And we got the greatest example, that was Jesus. Yes, he was God, but he was also man. We identify with him in that. He surrendered to God. He was used by God to follow God's plan for his life. He paid our ransom. He made a way for us to be saved. And because of him, every one of us have a way to the Father. We begin that by believing in who Jesus is, the Son of God, repenting and confessing our sin, and then being baptized into Christ. But it all comes down to our choices, because if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. you got to have some faith, some courage. If you want to experience something extraordinary in your life, you have to give your life to Christ, But because before God can do something extraordinary through you, he has to do something extraordinary in you. And that is when you give your life to Christ. If you have not yet done that, I would love to have that conversation with you. Talk about that, your next step on your journey with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your amazing words and the truth that come from it, God. Thank you for letting us be a part of your family. And my prayer this morning is that there would be, uh, every one of us would walk out of here with a, a broader vision, a bigger vision, a bigger dream of what you could be in our lives and what you could do through us and how the glory would go to you. And prayer for those that don't know you yet, they would make a decision today to follow Christ. Pray in his name. Amen.